Welcome back everyone to Creative Machines. This is the Socially Distanced second season. I'm Aaron Tolson and you'll be hearing from my co-host Pietro Galliano in just a minute. This episode is a bit tech things you might have missed while you were refreshing the news pages over the last few months. First up, we recorded our immediate reaction to the Facebook civil rights audit that had just dropped before we sat down to record. Some interesting stuff in that. Any prizes for guessing how it turned out for Facebook? Nah. We also take a look back at the moment NASA teamed up with SpaceX to send US astronauts back into space. Plus, we'll hear a bit more about some of the other wild things happening in the near space gold rush. Finally, we have a bit of an old school Creative Machines chat about the future of the internet, which we've all been staring at for more than usual these past few months. Me and Pietro think about this stuff a lot, and it's always fun to speculate wildly a little bit, isn't it? Alright, Creative Machines tangents. Let's get back on it. Pietro, um, as we sit down to record today, there's some breaking news that the Facebook civil rights audit has um, just been released um, by Facebook. Um, they got this sort of independent committee to oversee their practices and basically, as it says, to audit how they approach civil rights, um, led by civil rights expert Laura Murphy. Um it's a huge document. I haven't had a chance to go through it properly yet, but can I just read to you one paragraph here? See what you think about this. Yeah, let's hear it hot off the press. <laughs> With each success, the auditors became more hopeful that Facebook would develop a more coherent and positive plan of action that demonstrated in word and deed the company's commitment to civil rights. Unfortunately, in our view, Facebook's approach to civil rights remains too reactive and piecemeal. Many in the civil rights community have become disheartened, frustrated and angry after years of engagement, where they implored the company to do more to advance and fight discrimination, while also safeguarding free expression. Mm. As the final report is being issued, the frustration directed at Facebook from some quarters is at the highest level seen since the company was founded, and certainly since the civil rights audit started in 2018. No so, kidding. Yeah, that's uh, pretty harsh sounding isn't it it's harsh and it's uh heavy to have that be released around the same time that um uh, advertisers are leaving their platform f for these reasons it's that's that's a that's a heavy time for that company amongst everything else that's been happening pietro um a piece of news came out that we would have been laser focused on in the past on creative machines um but it came out during while we were pretty much like right in the middle of lockdown, still discussing first peaks and second waves that seemed far off in the future at that point. Um, but a pretty historic space flight took place. Um, NASA teamed up with a private company. They teamed up with Elon Musk's SpaceX to send a crewed flight to the International Space Station. You were uh, you tuned into that, didn't you? If you saw that, I did. You say, yeah. 
and uh, yeah, I, I made my whole family watch it, both both uh, episodes, the one that uh, got canceled and then the one two days later or whatever it was. <laughs> one day later, right. I forget. Um, yeah, that was historic. I, I loved watching it. And it was uh, kind of a cool event that brought everybody together amidst the lockdown, too. I, I thought that that was uh, just a wonderful coincidence that we had that to watch together as like, you know, as a, a global society. Mm hmm. And it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I've seen a few commentaries talking about how there were parallels between this and in the 60s when the, you know, the the NASA first put the moon landing. Exactly. Um, yeah. And interestingly, this occurred, you know, in the 60s, there were the civil rights movement was just getting started. Um, huge upheaval in the States at that point, um, people having a reckoning then. And this launch, actually, the, the second rescheduled launch that actually took place, took place less than a week after George Floyd's murder. Um, and I just want to mention that to keep that in mind, we have this discussion in terms of, you know, what's going on in society at the time when these big mm-hmm. technological breakthroughs happen, because technology technological developments never happen without context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll put a pin in that and remember that until the end of this section. But let's discuss what was going on here. So NASA, they've had their funding kind of clipped very much in the last few decades and sort of withered as a bit of a force in the American consciousness. I think that's fair to say, right? Um, from those times of the moon landings back in the 60s when everything seemed so new and exciting. Well, you know, we've been there and done that to some extent now, right? And and there was a space race, you know, like mm-hmm. there was that, that drive to invent uh, and be the first. And I think that that uh, over the years has kind of uh, uh, faded away. And and there's a bit of an, uh, what do you call it, an innovator's dilemma happening mm. where you're the first to invent something and then you're also the one that can't see past it. And so uh, I think that, that that's happened in space uh, exploration over the years as well. And it takes a new company like SpaceX with a mm-hmm. new type of drive and a new type of mandate to come in and, and sh- shift things around a bit. Totally. Um, and... Yeah, those, that's a very interesting way to put that as well, because NASA have been collaborating with a few private companies and they collaborated with Boeing as well. Um, they did a test launch with them of a spacecraft just before um, Christmas last year. And um, it didn't go so well, actually. They, there was a few things that went wrong with, with that project. And um, I actually read that in kind of like um, um, a review conducted by NASA and Boeing, they decided that... NASA had spent too much time focusing on the SpaceX projects, which they trusted less because it was so different to how NASA conducts things. Whereas they kind of let Boeing just go their own way because they were like, oh, they do things like we do things. The Boeing one, the Boeing one went wrong. The SpaceX one went off went without right. a hitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is the new the new order that SpaceX is um, bringing into the the space race these days, isn't it? My favorite part about watching that launch was the kind of reinvention of the the, the craft itself. Like you see the, you, you, you know, you think back about us uh, uh, rocket launches that you've seen in the past and you see the, the cockpit with all the dials and it's so uncomfortable for the astronauts. They're kind of curled up into a ball mm-hmm. and uh, shitty cameras and that type of thing. But then SpaceX does it and there's touch screens and sleek mm-hmm. uniforms and like it just looked so futuristic and it gave me yeah. goosebumps. Uh, watching it in that way. 
space travel but make it a bit fashion am i using it, the right it, expression it, exactly. there? i don't know you're just but, um, totally. modernize it in every way modern, yeah you're right the touchscreens and everything like it's it's brilliant it really does feel so so modern um and the spacecraft the way spacex is doing everything right with the reusable rockets and machinery um this is um it is just pure innovation to an industry that needed it that was desperate of it um so SpaceX is Elon Musk's company, and you know this is just typical. Elon is really pushing things forward. Um, can't stay out of the news, so we're always excited about whatever he's doing again for good reasons or bad. You know, um, pictured hanging out with Kanye West recently. Kanye West, potential future president, perhaps. Who knows? Um, but he, for one reason or another, he's always in the headlines. But when it comes to actual technology. Man, no one does it like him, right? I really feel like you could sum SpaceX up as a company of firsts and failures um, because that's the story of them, right? Like oh, like failing over and over again, mm -hmm. but constantly seeing that as part of the process and refining it. And, you know, failing in, in a safe way, you know, not, not failing in terms of, of cost to human life, um, but really taking their time and, you know, probably having investors running scared at some points. You know, you look at the way <laughs> investors behave around Tesla sometimes. But um, yeah, that perseverance is finally starting to pay off. And SpaceX is positioning itself to be a hugely profitable company at some point in the future. Space is becoming a new sort of Klondike gold rush area. Like this, this whole area just outside the Earth that we're now seeing people looking at as a place to make profit as well, like profiteering mm -hmm. off that area of space. Um, Capitalism is really moving into that new territory um, there. And today, SpaceX, um, they were launching another set of their Starlink satellites and um, they, um, they've been allowing other companies to piggyback off of these launches now. What do you mean like uh, piggybacking the launch, like uh, put, put items into space uh, along with the satellites that Starlink puts up? Exactly. Yeah. So when when SpaceX is launching um, a Skylink payload, they basically just have room on board for other companies' satellites to launch. Um, so they're going up to space anyway, and they leave room there for a fee for other companies rather than arranging their own rocket, um, can pay SpaceX to take them up for them and know that they're going to be a reliable method of doing that, right? Wow. I'm so curious to know what that fee is. Like yeah. if, if a if a, a rich uh, individual could save up enough money to like, you know, say, well, when I die, throw my body into space <laughs> and I know how, exactly how much it'll cost. Yeah, right. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things where it says contact is for pricing. You know, there's exactly. no just like, it's not twelve ninety nine subscription <laughs> Canada Day special is there on uh, the website for that? No, 20% off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, as these companies become more successful with these ideas, it will just keep becoming uh, more cost effective uh, all the time. Totally. And then that just means that more and more companies will jump onto this sort of gold rush um, situation. Um, yeah. And I was just reading about Black Sky. Could you just read, you know, the articles I first read were like, Black Sky has piggybacked the Starlink launch today. I'm like, who's Black Sky? And um, this is, um, I don't know, really, they don't describe themselves in a catch-all way on their website, but it seems to be some kind of surveillance satellite constellation that claims to have the greatest revisit rates of any sort of surveillance system. I so, have no idea what that means. Yeah, I guess it just means that it's got a constant... 
eye on the world and that like if things are happening you can use black sky to sort of keep track of what's going on on the ground so here's a quote um with black sky you can track critical assets conflicts natural disasters or climate change black sky gives you the power to see changes important to you in minutes hmm. <laughs> that's both exciting and ominous Definitely, I'm like like all of technology, I guess. In black sky, yeah, it's uh, they kind of give some uh, insidious overtones with that name, don't they? Um, and so, uh, SpaceX has also done this with another group called Planet Labs as well. Um, Planet can image the entire Earth daily, um, and both on their website they have a seven plus petabyte imagery archive growing daily. A petabyte, I had to look this up. Um, is a million gigabytes. So they have 7 million gigabytes of data, of imagery of the Earth. That's a lot of hard drives. That's a lot. They're, they're keeping Indeed. Stopped. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the point of talking about those two companies is just that, um, yeah, there's a lot of satellites going up into space right now and they are being used to create images of what's going on on the Earth. Um, so let's all just bear that in mind as this is something that's already very much established and not something that's on the horizon. Going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this section, at a time when there's so much conflict happening in the world, there seems so much to be fearful of the, the pandemic and, you know, all the economic implications that go with that. You know, the everything that's kind of been revealed to us in the wake of the George Floyd murder and protests in terms of inequalities again. Do you... How do you justify a space exploration and stuff? You know, there's there's always this argument, isn't there, that maybe those resources, huge resources, could be better spent dealing with things down here on Earth. And I know this is a big question. It's beyond the scope mm -hmm. of what we're doing here, really. But I find it hard to ignore those questions, you know. Totally. Like, why, why would you uh, be so focused on the future, the distant future, when mm -hmm. there's so many issues happening right here in your backyard? Exactly. Um, to me, I, I think that the simple answer is they're both important. So it's, it has to be a balance between the two. Um, it, the, the space exploration does give us hope as a species, just as much as dealing with, uh, you know, inequality and discrimination and all, all of these problems that are, are plaguing us right now. So, you know, no, I don't think that we're in a position where we have to choose if we were, then it, then it becomes more of a dilemma, but hmm. you know, as long as we can do both, I think we're going to be okay. Um, but what do you think about that, Aaron? I don't think you can answer these questions without going too big, right? And looking at the way financial systems are set up. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. we should be able to do this alongside creating more funding for communities and stuff. There's, there's, there shouldn't have to be questions like that. You know, I mean, it's more a problem that individuals are hoarding wealth. You know, at least Elon Musk is like, of course, he's an incredibly wealthy individual, but his plan is to like use capital to create companies that will be profitable at some point to do what he believes is vital for the safety of the human race in the future. And, you know, and w we've talked about this on the podcast before, but while he's making SpaceX with the aim of one day going to Mars commercially, maybe, um, he's also, you know, Tesla has become the most profitable automobile company in the world, right? Or um, yeah, at least the most valuable, sorry. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy that he's taken an electric vehicle and made it the most valuable automobile company in the world. That I don't, is insane. I don't, yeah, it totally is. And I don't know if you've seen the uh, Return of the Electric Car documentary. Um, um, no. It, 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 there's this, 
moment that I keep thinking of where it clearly Musk is about to lose it all. Like he he's he's down to his last dollars being spent in, in investing into this and he, you know he risked his his fortune on this idea and mm-hmm. there's this amazing moment where he's basically I'm not going to be able to remember it to the point where I can quote him but he he's gathered people around the table the the boardroom table and it's like are we in this or are you not in this mm-hmm. and if you're not in this please leave because we're you know I'm I'm going to if we crash and burn, you got to be in it with me. And, uh, and it, you could see that he's one to just risk all of his own wealth on, on that idea. And I think that's what makes him different than other wealthy people. Um, and yeah, I mean, could that wealth be spent on things in our backyard for sure. And, uh, but I think that you can see the passion in Elon Musk and hopefully that, uh, translates to other wealthy individuals who are hoarding their wealth to say, no, you know what? Space isn't my thing, but the problem happening right here is my thing. So I'm going to risk it on that. I'm going to risk it on that. Sure. Yeah. And um, I suppose the one caveat, and it's a big caveat to add to that, is that Elon Musk is also, it seems, willing to risk the safety of his employees sometimes as well to, to achieve <laughs> these goals. Reopening yeah, that, his um, factories to defy sort of California state orders, right, um, during the coronavirus uh, pandemic lockdowns. Um, so, you know, there is yeah, that drive really, that maybe really, has blinded him. Yeah, totally. to, um, And, you know, there's talk of, you know, the try very hard to keep their employees out of unions and stuff. And I'm really not a fan of all that side of Elon. He's an intriguing no, character. Sure. And I hope I hope the mythologizing of him doesn't get in the way too much of the great work that hopefully comes out of all his companies. Yeah, totally. And I guess my point is that if it takes somebody like that to set a precedent to say, yes, I'm, I, I did really well on PayPal, but mm. I am going to risk it all to do this, this other future facing idea. And hopefully with his success in doing that, it lets other people stop hoarding their wealth and actually try to make a difference with it. Pietro, during these stay-at-home times, during the lockdown, we're all using the internet more than we ever have before. Um, you know, it's we're really having a moment with the internet in lots of ways. It's changing the way we have meetings and see friends, all kinds of things. It's, it's come a long way since the 90s when, you know, it was more an active thing you had to choose to do, right? Go online. You had to plan ahead, like dial up. You had to make yep. sure no one was waiting to make a phone call like in the next couple of hours. Um, or not, just risk pissing them off. Just risk, <laughs> risk getting yelled at. Um, yeah. Um, definitely happened to me as a teenager. Um, you know, it's gone through the, the dot-com boom, the collapse of that, rebirth as the smartphone technology came out mm-hmm. and the rise of the apps. Yeah, Web 2.0. Yeah, Um you know, we've reached a point now where websites are built mobile first almost. You know, we expect people to be using their devices to check the internet. And Google even is now prioritizing information from mobile devices over desktop in terms of its analytics and things because that's the way people access the internet now. It's become almost, almost a passive, essential part of our lives, right? You don't even think about going online anymore. It's just something that's there that you just 
you expect you can always be online. You'll get notifications from stuff. Even if you're not trying to be involved in the internet, it will find you and it will let you know what's happening, right? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like we used to go online and now we're just online all the time. Like we we, we make a point to go offline now. We have to say, don't bother me. Shut off my phone. Yeah. Like, log out. That's the but choice Otherwise now. we're, we're yeah. online all the time. Absolutely. Um, and... You know, the internet access now is is recognized by the UN as a human right, but people still don't have equal access to it. And I do wonder about how that's affected different parts of society during this mm -hmm. um, pandemic, especially. Um, and yeah, so much about the internet should be about accessibility. And that's what we're being told now. That's what companies are focusing on. And mm -hmm. hopefully things are moving in that direction. But what I want to know from you for the next few minutes, Pietro, is what would you like to see the future internet look like? How should the future of the internet be shaped? How should it work for people? You let your imagination run for a minute. What, what are the craziest things you can think of? Anything. Let me know what you think the future of the internet is going to look like. Yeah, wow. Well, I see the future of the internet being uh, almost invisible the same way it's happening now, where we're not thinking about it as an internet. It's just... Like when you uh, look at your television, you're not thinking about the wires that are connecting everything in the back. Mm. And that's kind of what the internet is is turning into to me, I think, is uh, it's just the wires for anything amazing that will be built. <laughs> like whether we're communicating with with you know, civilization on Mars or artificial beings, or whether we're sharing, you know, the ability to share how we're actually feeling our emotions, our, our physiology with, with someone we, we love, you know, like that, that's what the internet is going to allow us to do. And, and in that sense, I don't think we'll be thinking of it as a entity as like, well, this is just going to go over the internet, or I'm going to send you this right now. It's just going to be this thing that is invisible and connects us. Um, and I get really excited about brain computer interface and, mm. uh, you know, um, robotics and that type of thing. Um, but at the same time, when I imagine the future of the internet or the future of connectivity, it comes with this dark side of like, well, brain computer interface could be used for brainwashing or, or, you know, the privacy issues that matter to us so much. I see the internet as, connective, in invisible connective tissue for all kinds of cool things that are about to happen. I guess there's a few things I'd like to pick up on that you've mentioned already. Um, this idea of it, the internet just becoming almost like the ether, like, you know, people used to talk about the ether, like the air had a quality to it, mm -hmm. something intangible. Uh, it feels like connectivity is going down that route, doesn't it? Um, and that, you know, that's exciting in lots of ways and it opens up all kinds of avenues, you know, we're hearing more and more about the internet of things, you know, there's everyday objects that are connected at a greater and greater level um, and using, you know, the internet as a tool to actually make those things work, um, mm -hmm. which is very cool, you know, very far from how the internet was conceived for sure. Um, and the way people are going to interact with the actual interface of the internet is going to change so much. Even if we're still looking at something like a screen, the way we interact with that might become very different soon. And one of the things I think is going to happen, like it's not going to be click and keyboards anymore. We're going to see more and more like uh, gesturing at things and mm -hmm. the way we use our hands and position ourselves is going to be part of the interactivity um, that we, that we see with devices and stuff. And you know, that when we look at that in the context of what we talked about previously on the show now, in terms of, 
people are having a moment thinking about facial recognition again or rethinking the technology. I, would, I do wonder if that's actually maybe going to put the brakes on some of that stuff. Like maybe facial mm -hmm. recognition would have been a much bigger part of how the internet is going to move forwards in terms of reading our emotions and seeing emotional context of how we're saying things and translating that to other people across the internet. That actually maybe, and this is always the point when we think about the future, we can speculate as much as we want, but sometimes there'll be a human pushback on things. And I yes, do wonder totally. if what we've gone through and are still going through now in 2020 hopefully not for too long beyond that if that's actually going to push back and maybe re make us reevaluate some of the ways we saw technology moving forward does that make sense yeah i i think it's we're we're always on that pendulum where uh you know even when when humans were living in caves and we invent fire we quickly learned that it could burn the cave down too you right. know we, we we learned that it could it could hurt people um but at the time it was probably like wow we can see at night now we can cook our food we can we can have conversations around it keeps us warm it keeps us dry and oh shit if we don't control it in some way or if we don't learn from those lessons quickly we'll all be dead <laughs> and i think like anything technological <laughs> has that has that uh that dark side to it yeah totally and to probably over stretch that metaphor a little bit well another problem with fire you know and burning stuff and anyone is warned about you know if you have a generator when you're out camping it's like using those in enclosed spaces can result in carbon monoxide poisoning as well this mm -hmm. invisible killer that you don't even know necessarily is related to the fire and i think about that with technology all the time you know the how facial recognition was so in danger of becoming absolutely normalized you know just the way you use it to open your phones and stuff and I think there's a big danger when we just stop thinking about something, when it does become that passive. I think it becomes so much easier for more sneaky things, more nefarious things to get past because we stop questioning exactly what's going on there because we've got so mm -hmm. used to it. And I do mm -hmm. worry about that in terms of connectivity and the internet. And I really hope that people are really having a moment with this when suddenly people are becoming aware. It's like, oh shit, the technology is actually far more advanced than I really took stock of. And maybe it is time to stay, to take stock now. Yeah, absolutely. And the best way to be aware of it is to not just be a consumer, is to be a maker. It's to participate in, you know, the creation of technology, even in, in a simple way. You you become aware of what it does, um, how you can use its power. And I think like, you know, especially when it comes to things like artificial intelligence, the, the big question is how that type of technology shifts power and uh, how... Um, people with power can use it in an exploitive way, but as long as we keep, you know, information open and the spirit of making and sharing, uh, I think that, um, you know, it's it's up to the, the, the users to actually participate in that way. The only thing I would say is, is it's totally a beautiful idea to get people working with this stuff and playing with this stuff and messing around with this stuff in order to understand it better. But I think that also has to come from the top down as well, right? Like I, I really think governments are only just starting to get a grip on, you know, they're behind in how connected the world has become now. Um, you know, you look at how bland government websites are and, you know, they make, so I've been learning about web development recently and how, you know, the internet is kind of built to be better used for people, to be more useful, increase that user experience is the phrase that we see. And, mm -hmm. you know, government websites are built in such a simple, like, 
like office-like way to look at, right? And that's partly because they just know that so many of their users and visitors to the site have got such shitty equipment and internet access and like old browsers that like they can't do anything new because their old computers won't be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you know, that's an issue. Then why can't you go about solving that issue and making sure that more of your citizens actually have access to better equipment and can participate in this new dig increasingly digital-based economy? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, part of that goes from right down to education as well and making sure that kids everywhere have access to more of this digital-based economy. They can learn how to code, they can learn how the internet works and learn why and how social media platforms exist in the way that they do and the implications of the things that they say and do online and what's being used with their data. I think all this needs to be kind of inserted into the education system at some point. I think mm -hmm. that would be a big part of actually getting people to understand what this thing is still that we're kind of participating in, but have no understanding of. Again, that open source movement is so so important in that way, where um, where it, 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 if 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 companies weren't just about profit, but were about you know information sharing. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, it's that that indie game. Uh, it, the, the the gaming industry does this right, where uh, a game developer will come out and say, "Hey, this is how I did it, but I've open sourced this. You can do it too. Let and let me know how you use this because it's going to help my next product." Mm -hmm. um, I just love that idea so much, and that's what's going to help uh, invent a better internet. I think in the future. Here's hoping. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks as always for listening. Creative Machines is recorded and produced by David Angel at his studio, Giant Sound Toronto. And that's why it sounds so good. If you enjoyed this episode, you got things to comment on. You know, how do you feel about Elon Musk is always a good one. Get in touch. We're at Machines Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you've got a little bit more to say, you can send us an email. We're machinespodcast at gmail.com. And we're actively looking for guests, so if you know anyone that you think should be on here or you yourself want to be on, get in touch. Okay, until next time, hope you're all taking care of each other, doing what you're supposed to be doing, wearing your masks. All right, we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.